yeah, I, uh, I went upstairs to write the note and I was sitting at my dad's desk and, uh, I wrote dear mom. No, yeah, no, I, I wrote dear dad. And then I wrote dear mom underneath that. And I got to the last M on, uh, my mom and thank goodness something clicked in me. I said, I got to call her. I got to call her. I called my mom. I said, mom, I'm going to kill myself. I need you. Is there anyone out there? From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey. Okay, welcome back to another episode of From Darkness to Life. We're sitting here in the Plugged In Media Network studio as usual. I shouldn't say as usual. Sometimes we're on the road and sometimes we're uh, over Zoom. And but yeah, it's always nice to come back home to our quiet space here at the at the studio and have Dave in the background heckling us and working his magic. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, something a little different today. I'm flying solo. I got, I have, I got, what English? I got to go back to school. <laughs> I have uh, a guest today, Kevin Lee, and uh, Kevin has um, been part of what we're doing. We crossed paths with him quite a while ago in our professional days, and uh, yeah, now he's joined us and very interested in what OCJ is doing, and uh, I thought, what a better way to to break Kevin in than have him on the podcast and share some of his story. So how are you feeling today, man? You know, I'm feeling good. Yeah. Um, nervous, excited, yeah. but uh, happy to be here, happy to... Uh, um, contribute if you will. So. Yeah, absolutely, man. And don't feel bad about being nervous. I'm still nervous some days, not so much today. Cause now I've realized that if I, if I make some mistakes, who cares? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, it's our stories and it's, it's what we're passionate about. And it's things that we don't have to learn things. We don't have to memorize and mm-hmm. screw up as we go. Cause, uh, we've already learned it and it's pretty hard to forget our experience. So it's pretty cool being here and you know, one of the things that uh, Dave suggested to me early on, and we share this with all our guests is, you know, it's a conversation and 10, 15 minutes into this, the headphones disappear, the microphone disappears and things get easy. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, for, for sure. sure, man. So cool. How's your day going? It's good. It's been a busy morning, a uh, morning full of meetings, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it was good. It was, I was interacting with colleagues and, uh, collaborating. It was, it was good. It was yeah. good. What about you? How are you? Oh, I'm doing really well, man. We, uh, we spent a, a week networking in the big city in Calgary and with recovery like-minded people and uh, went to some training yesterday down in Lethbridge and things are going really well, right? The the work-life balance is amazing in my life and my little guy's growing like a weed. He's, I didn't call him my little guy, but he's not so little anymore. He's going to come, I think he's coming up on 19 months and oh, yeah, awesome. my wife is amazing. She's on the verge of moving positions where she works and super exciting stuff happening. So yeah, things are great, man. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. It's, and, uh, it's always good to hear. I, I love hearing, uh, friends, um, colleagues, whoever, just when they're enjoying life reviving, it's good. It's good yeah, to hear. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And, uh, I know like when you talk about your work colleagues and stuff, I've had the privilege of meeting some of them, um, some of your managers, perhaps the, I can't, I won't say her name, but I can't remember what her job title is, but, uh, I believe she's one of your superiors. Mm-hmm. She's an amazing lady. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. cool. And we've connected with her over the last few years and, yeah. It's amazing when you start doing this stuff, you know, you, you connect with professionals all the time, but when you mm-hmm. start doing things that we're doing and you, and you're being authentic and sharing your vulnerable self and mm-hmm. how many people start opening up and how cool those relationships, you know, they, they move from a professional one to, to coffee and a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, look, we're sitting right here, totally. right? Uh, you know, the favorite part about my job is, is meeting people and having human conversations, you know, um, through COVID, I, I learned that business doesn't have to be so prim and proper and uptight. You can, uh, you know, deal with business, but yet have human conversations and, sure. uh, you know, be present for anything. So, yeah. Right. And, <laughs> and how n- unique is that nowadays when, you know, you phone all these service providers and how often do you get that, Yeah, you know, that type of service present, yeah. um, accountable, the, the authentic service, you know, somebody on the other end, that's actually going to talk and you don't have to push buttons to, mm-hmm. to select menu items. And mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. rare these days, but yeah. it's cool. Right. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I appreciate about dealing with, with your, you know, the place you work at and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, 
I've never had a negative experience there. That's, That's cool. Just walking in, right? I actually yeah. look forward to going there sometimes. And whereas yeah. before with my other service provider, I'm like, I ain't going there. I'm going to sit for 45 minutes and then I'm going to get some shithead to tell me <laughs> that I have to come back tomorrow because he can't answer my question today. Yeah. Here's a ticket number, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I love what I do. I really do. Um, you know, I, I don't like the, 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 the sentence that, you know, I'm lucky to love what I do. I, yeah. I, I don't like that. I think that you should love what you do. And if you don't, you should pursue it. And I'm in a role that I love. Yeah. Um, it's awesome. It's awesome. I have great leadership, uh, great clients. Yeah. Um, no, everything. It's good. Very so, cool, man. Yeah. So, yeah, I know over the last, you know, six, seven months that I've talked with you, you've, uh, been gracious enough to share some of your story with me. And I came in to get one of my products serviced by you one day and we ended up spending about an hour in your office and talking like we we're talking mm-hmm. right now. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it really, interested me to get to know you more and, and see your passion. And uh, then, you know, here we are today, like now you're excited to share this with more, yeah, right. More people than just me and more people that you cross paths with on, in your everyday life. Now you're interested in sharing it on a podcast and, and you just never know where this story is going to go and yeah. who's going to need to hear it. That's going through something similar that you went through. Right. And that mm-hmm. Damien says it all the time, right? Your, your story could be somebody else's survival guide. So. Yeah, it's amazing. Absolutely. And you know, even if you disagree with something someone says, they've already won because you're thinking about it. Yeah. Right. You so know, cool, man. uh, listening to this podcast often, you know, you will say, you know, as long as this helps one person and there's me in my vehicle every time I'm that one guy, you know? <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, you know, it's, um, man, that's so cool to hear. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's cool to be here to be able to, uh, share my story and, you know, um, I'm not special, but I think my story is because it could be someone else's and they need to know that your past doesn't determine your future. <clears throat> For sure. Right. Um, being a big one. So yeah, absolutely. So yeah. So yeah. Why don't you, uh, let's not keep all of our <laughs> listeners on the edge of their seat. Why don't yeah. you share a little bit about, you know, what it was like and, and some of your experience, some of your journey with people. Yeah. You know, where to start on the, on the journey itself? You know, I would probably start late middle school. I would say, you know, grade eight. And the reason I start there is I can look back now and recognize, I think that's when some of my mental health issues started to onset, uh, you know, the self-loathing, um, the social anxiety, um, you know, I dare I say crippling social anxiety. And, you know, it's weird because I'm in a job where I, I meet people. I have to <laughs> sure. uh, present to people. I, I, my job is to contact strangers, but uh, you know, my, it's something I've always really struggled with. Um, you know, around that same time too, I, I noticed that decision-making or putting myself in positive situations was getting harder and harder. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't so much that I didn't know right from wrong, but I couldn't bring myself to put myself in a spot where a good decision could be made. Um, you know, my parents recognized this, my loved ones recognized this and really wanted me to get help. Um, at a young age, I, Hey, I didn't want that. I was, uh, you know, I was a a football player. I was an athlete. I had friends. I was in a band. I thought, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. Um, but you know, looking back, I think, I think I was in grade eight. The first time I ever said, I, I hated myself out loud. Right. And, uh, looking back, that's pretty scary, right. To think that you have children that, that feel that way. But I, I, I truly did. I, I didn't like myself. I didn't like how I looked. I didn't like how I felt around people. A lot of people viewed me as this outgoing person, but it, deep inside, I was I was struggling. I was struggling yeah. hard. I um, panic attacks almost daily. Yeah, in public. Um, so, so the outside looked good, but behind the scenes, things were really stressful yeah. for you. Hey? Yeah, and I I really didn't know how to talk about it to yeah. family or friends. You know, as a society, I think we've come a long way in having these conversations. Um, but you know, I'm. I'm you know, back then it wasn't as prevalent, you know, oh, it, for sure not. It really wasn't. No. Right. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, I was able to, you know, cope if, if you call it that mm-hmm. through a uh, grade eights and then, you know, grade nine hit and grade nine to grade eight, you know, there's some complexities in life and school and, you know, uh, um, you know, dating comes into the scene. Yeah, I was going to say girls, girls, right. You know, <laughs> um, that, and that's when the alcohol and drugs started to creep in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the same story in grade nine, I was still, dealing with all of these things. And, um, I, I kind of noticed a different aspect to that came on was hyperactivity with myself. I had trouble concentrating. I had trouble putting thoughts together. Mm-hmm. It's not that I didn't think it was quite the opposite. I thought a lot. I yeah. just didn't know how to organize my thoughts. Right. Um, you know, and, and it was, uh, it, it was, it was a constant battle. And, uh, you know, I grew up with pretty strong convictions around, um, drinking, 
tobacco, drugs. I, I grew up in an LDS or, or what some people would refer to a Mormon home. So mm-hmm. I had some values that were instilled in me yeah. and, I, and I decided, hey, like that's not what I want to do. Um, I had some addiction in my family and I thought, hey, you know, I'm, that's not me. That's not what I'm going to do. And, um, you know, my friends knew this through grade nine and 10 and um, I played football. It was a, I was an athlete. And so along with football comes parties. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's always hand parties. In hand. hand in hand. It goes, you know, um, you know, chewing tobacco mm-hmm. and fo- football go hand in hand. I don't know anything about yeah. chewing tobacco. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, there was, the, these things started to creep into my life and, you know, grade 10 hit. And by this time, my, my anxiety, my, um, my depression was full blown. Yeah. Right. I didn't know how to tell any one what was going on. I channeled my emotions through sport, a physical sport like football. It was a good way for me to to get out what I needed to get out. My parents knew this too. So they really invested time and energy and money in football because, you know, although it was really quite damaging to my body, it was the lesser of evil. It was the good time for me. It was the, the, right. you know, when I was there, they knew I was safe. They knew I was taken care of, you know, um, it was probably after, I think it was a second or third party in grade 10 when I had my first drink of, uh, Captain Morgan spiced rum, rum oh, and yeah. Coke. Right. The captain. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I think I had three and puked all over the place. Right. Yeah. But you know what, in that moment, all my social anxiety disappeared or what mm-hmm. I thought, what mm-hmm. I thought disappeared. I felt relaxed. I felt goofy. I felt like I could just be myself in this social setting where I, before I felt like I had to, you know, maybe put on a show yeah. maybe try to be that, the captain of the football team with leadership that I, I didn't really feel <laughs> I had. Right. Um, you know, I, I can look back and say, I, you know, I wish I would never would have drank. Um, but you know, it, 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 I don't know necessarily if, if that opened up the door to everything else, uh, more so my, my decisions to going forward, yeah. you know, a couple parties later and then it was, uh, marijuana was introduced. Right. Um, you know, started to smoke occasionally here and there. Um, and it was just little by little, it was, it, it was really a slow progression. Yeah. I would say by grade 11, then, you know, I was, I was smoking cigarettes, even though I was a high performance athlete, I was drinking three to four times a week, even though I was in high school. Um, I was smoking marijuana probably every other day to every, every day while maintaining like a, a high training schedule. And I was, you know, I was a high performance athlete and looking back, it's just wild. Cause you, <laughs> you think what could have been right. But you know, I'm, I, I've, uh, I've accepted the things I cannot change. Well, some of them, but, sure. uh, um, you know, so it, it really started to accelerate. And, you know, if uh, anyone who struggled with substance use, you know, in when you're chasing the high, sure, you might feel that things are, are better. Or, mm-hmm. You know, you, you might feel zen, if you will. Um, but the come down is is always there. For sure. The come down is always, and that's when everything, as you know, is, is a tidal wave. Yeah. So I, I found this this perpetual cycle I was in, uh, nonstop, nonstop. Mm-hmm. Um, I was drinking. It was just this nonstop cycle of... Um, bad decisions. You know, my family tried to get me help. They did. Uh, my parents tried to take me to doctors and I quite literally would, they'd drive me to the, the doctor's office. I'd get out of the vehicle and run. Yeah. Not exaggerating. I, I'd run. I believe it. Right. I didn't, uh, I didn't believe anything was wrong with me. Um, I didn't want anything to be wrong with me. I thought I'm just a kid. Like, Hey, mm-hmm. this is, you know, maybe everyone else goes through this. You know, maybe these are just rational thoughts, but you know, no thought of hating yourself or, or, or hurting yourself is rational, mm-hmm. um, whatsoever. Um, so, you know, I, I, I feel bad for not listening to my parents, if you will, because I, you know, as, uh, now that I've experienced some, one of my loved ones going through mental health and addiction, it, it hurts. And so, yeah. you know, I, I said, Hey, I've, I've thanked them many times cause they tried. Right. But, uh, you can't make someone change unless they want to. Absolutely. Right. Right. You can. And at that age, like yeah. how many of us want to, listen to our parents, right? I know what's good for me. You don't know. What do you know? You're an old man. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I I just got called an old man yesterday by my 17 year old son. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You know, my pops used to call it uh, tunnel vision, Mm -hmm. right? You have uh, a very, uh, your, your perspective and your peripherals on the world aren't there and you have a very small view of of what needs or, or, you know, even what you need to do. Um, you know, so like through grade 11 and 12, I, it was, I was known as the party guy. I really was. I was known as that guy that if, if you wanted to get fucked up, uh, sorry, I'm real swear. Okay, good. Uh, you know, um, you know, if, if, if someone wanted to have a good time, you know, it was that saying, it's like you partied with me, but, but did you die? Yeah. Right. Um, and then, you know, towards the end of grade 12, that's when, um, different types of drugs started to come. I, I, I was at a party and I had, uh, one of my uh, friends, um, from high school, pull out a bag of ecstasy. Yeah. I remember it pretty distinctly. Blue aliens, uh, little blue pills. 
and I took one that night. We were at a bonfire and it was, it was a, a the high was amazing. I, I, I don't know. It was, uh, it was scary because I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, I, I, I love the feeling of the upper, mm-hmm. um, later in life, I'd find out my, it was stimulation. My brain was craving. Right. Um, but it really started to open the door to other things. Then cocaine came yeah. into the mix. Um, so, you know, by grade 12, I'm doing, um, you know, Coke every now and then, um, you know, I'm smoking, I'm drinking heavily and then grade end of grade 12 happens. And by this point I have totally destroyed every football opportunity I had. I had been scouted to play for a couple junior A teams right. and, uh, obviously I didn't prioritize it right. I wasn't ready for camp and I got cut, uh, mm-hmm. from multiple camps. So, you know, school ended and it was, I had this moment where I, I kind of lost my identity of like who I was, what, what what was Kevin? What for did sure. he stand for? What were, what was he good at? You know, I, I academically through school, I was, to be honest, I was, I was too high and drunk to care about school. Yeah. Flat out. You know, I was, it wasn't a priority for me. My thought was, you know, I'm going to go pro in football. I'm a high caliber athlete. That's my plan. I'm going to do it. The partying is just a party. And Hey, athletes do that. They party. Right. Sure. I really had a, a tunnel vision again on the topic. Um, so I go on a family vacation out to BC and, my uncle has some ties with one of the football teams out there. So I, uh, I actually, uh, get a, a close tryout with the coach for a junior A team and, uh, make the team. Nice. Right. I'm on vacation. I'm not, I, I thought I was coming home. My parents were like, Nope, you stay here with your aunt and uncle. You're going to play football. Wow. Um, I was happy. I was scared. It was, it was a big change, but I was also excited because I, I was able to get away from my hometown. Mm-hmm. I was able to, whether it was forced or not, hopefully turn a page. Um, a fresh start. Yeah. You know, but, uh, if anyone's played on a sports team with a bunch of 18 year old, 20 year old guys, you, you know, mm-hmm. that it can be quite the opposite. Yeah. Right. It can be quite the opposite. <laughs> um, so that first season I was, I was a rookie. I, I, you know, I, I was out there for the season and towards the end of the season, I, I, I dislocated my shoulder in a game in VI and, uh, went to the hospital and, uh, you know, obviously in a lot of pain, uh, pain rather, and, uh, got some Percocets. Mm. right everyone's had a story like this i think um and you know i i took them as prescribed um but then i noticed you know i the pain got away so i thought you know i'll have a couple more and oddly enough i really didn't like the opiate high thank thank goodness yeah i I really didn't but it was that moment where i kind of went back to my previous decisions Mm -hmm. right so my shoulder was separated i couldn't or dislocated rather i couldn't work for months i was in bc um, my parents said, you know, we don't want you to come home, but I think you have to come home. They really didn't want me to. My, my dad in particular, he, I think he knew what was coming Yeah. if I came home. Um, all my friends from high school had moved away. They were in university. The people that were left there weren't the best influences. So I come home. Uh, I thought to myself, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do drugs. I'm, I'm going to train for football when I'm home and I'm do this. Well, the first night I, I ended up going to uh, Lethbridge and oh, just getting fucked up. Mm-hmm. Popped a bunch of pills, uh, split a 40 with a buddy, went to the Park Place Mall and the, the theater there and got kicked out. Um, rightfully so. I was uh, um, I was intoxicated. I was belligerent and, and all of these things. So, you know, day one being back home, it was, I really had, I broke that promise to myself. So um, once again, I was in that spot where I hated myself. Um, I was sitting in, you know, my hometown with a, a hurt shoulder. I couldn't. You know, I couldn't play football. My friends and moved away and because they hadn't made goals and, and met their goals, right? Yeah. Um, so the crew that was left, I really wasn't, I don't blame them, but I made myself a part of a, a group of mm-hmm. people who, who partied, who sold drugs, who did those things. And I, at the time, I thought they were my friends. Yeah. Looking back, I can realize <clears throat> that that wasn't the case whatsoever. Sure. Um, well, I think that's, that's a very common situation for a lot of individuals, right. That fall into this lifestyle and addictive behavior and, and full blown addiction at some point, but surrounding yourself with that type of people, right. It, it slowly happens over time. And suddenly you look around and you think, well, holy yeah. shit, how did I end up here? Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. It's wild. It's wild. And, uh, my dad always used to say, you know, you're not, uh, if you're someone who's quit drinking, you don't go to the bar to hang out. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, you know, there's certain things or, you know, maybe that's not the right term, but you don't go to a, a kegger, let's say, or, or certain things, right. For you sure. put yourself in certain environments. And so, um, you know, I, I wish I would have, 
listen to my my friends, my family, my loved ones, but I, I didn't. So this really started um, my addiction to drugs. And, and I say drugs overall because it really didn't matter what you put in front of me. It could be meth. It could be opioids. It could be ecstasy. It could be coke. It didn't matter. Yeah. I was doing it. Yeah. And I wasn't just doing it. I was doing it to the extreme. Right. Yeah. Right. Like most of us do. Yeah. Right. Like it's like <laughs> what, one is great. Six is going to be amazing. Right. Or it's like, well, why don't I cut my E with my Coke? So the mm. E doesn't burn when it goes up my nose. That's logical. Right. For sure. Now you're a chemist. Right. It's like, yeah. oh, wow. I figured it out. I cracked the code. Yeah. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, it, it, I started to see things amplify, really amplify. For sure. Um, accelerate, accelerate to the point where I was going on binges. I would go three or four days um, high on pills, um, taking large amounts of ecstasy. Uh, this was before the MDMA had really hit the mainstream, yeah. if you will. And it was all the the dirty blue, yellow pills and, and so on. And um, yeah, once again, surrounded myself with people who just really couldn't, I don't think they could provide me the motivation or the the guidance as your peer or your friend that could help me get to anywhere positive, yeah. you know? Um, and this continued. I was, I was dating uh, someone at the time who was, uh, was, w- w- was a wonderful person. She had high standards. She really was patient to me, but you know, through the ne- the year and a half after that, she really got fed up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd given away my football at this time because over that time where I got injured, well, I got high. Yeah, I didn't train. For sure. Camp came around. Well, I, I told myself, oh, you're going to go to camp. Oh, yeah. Week would go by. You're going to go to camp. It's getting closer and closer and closer and closer. And oh, yeah, you know, you're going to go to camp. You're going to be a starting receiver this year, all that good stuff. And mm-hmm. just never did. Right. Never did. And I, there's not a certain event or there's a certain moment. I, I wanted to, I, I, I don't know how to describe it. I wanted to be there. I knew there was something I loved. I knew it lit something in me, but I couldn't bring myself to get there. Yeah. You sure. know? Um, and you know, coming back to, um, the girlfriend at the time she got fed up, um, she left me rightfully. So I was, I was lying. I was a drug, drug addict. Um, I denied, 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 but she knew Yeah, flat out. She knew, um, her parents talked to her. They knew. Right. They really, I think they helped get her out of the bad situation. And at the time I, I was mad. I was bitter. I, I, I blame this individual, but you know, now I can look back and say, Oh my goodness, how strong you, you separated yourself. You separated the emotion from the factual and you got away from something that wasn't good for you. Um, you know, that being said, um, that triggered this, this breakdown in me, right. You know, it wasn't, it, it her leaving was part of a cumulative thing that just seemed to come crashing down on me. Um, it was the, the hate that I felt for myself was, was so powerful. Mm-hmm. It was consuming. I would wake up in the morning and I would hate myself. Right. And it's hard to describe to people what that feels like. Yeah. For sure. Utter worthlessness. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. If you've been there, you get it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You know, and you see the world in a filter, mm-hmm. you don't view the world the same as your friend, colleague, loved one does. No. Nope. Right. Um, my thought was, well, I'm do more drugs, right? That's well, kind of, let's, let's just do that. And I don't have to look at it anymore. It, yeah. It numbs it out. It right. makes me forget about this problem for a little while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the next day it's like, holy shit, here we are again. Yeah. The come down. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I, I got to the point where I was, I, I was really starting to put my life in danger, mm-hmm. right? This is when it really started at the time. I didn't recognize it, but you know, who takes, mm-hmm. um, a large amount of ecstasy to the, to the point where you're you're high for 20 hours for fun. Mm-hmm. No one does that. Yeah. Right. Not too many. I didn't look at it as self-harm. Now I can recognize it as, as destructive behavior. And mm-hmm. you know, I was, I was hurting myself. Right. You know, um, but all of this came to a head. It was, uh, it was November. Um, it had been, you know, a year and a half, two years since football and all of these things. And I woke up one morning and I thought to myself, I was like, I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. I said, you know, I'm, uh, tired of hurting my parents. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of disappointing my family. Um, I gave up the only thing I truly loved, my passion, football. And uh, yeah, I, I made a decision. I was going to hang myself in my parents' basement. Um, I planned it. I, I I wanted to do it on a Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, I did this because my I, I knew my mom would be getting my little sister ready for school. She'd be gone. My brother would be gone. I knew my older brother would be at uh, at work and. I, uh, I had it set. I had the decision made and everything. Uh, that Monday came and uh, uh, I woke up. I felt, uh, I don't know. It was, a, it was a weird feeling. I felt like I was in a fog. Yeah. I didn't feel like I was there, if, right, you, if right. you will. 
was there any feelings around fear or anything like that? Or what were you, what were feelings? What were your feelings around that piece? Cause I know some people talk about, and I'll just go back to my experience. I, w- I got to a point where I wasn't scared anymore. I was more content with the decision cause I was going to eliminate the problem. Yeah. I, I looked at it as a decision that needed to be made. Mm-hmm. I looked at it as, although I thought, you know, maybe it'll hurt someone for a little in the long run, it's going to be the good thing yeah. in the long run. My parents won't hurt anymore. They won't lay awake at night wondering if they're going to, you know, find me dead. I remember my, my little sister telling me she used to come into my room and check to see if I was breathing. Yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> all of this stuff, I, I, I thought, you know, it's, it has to end. Yeah. And that's the insanity of, of where our brains are at the time, right? Yeah. All our experiences in drug use and addiction. And I was the same way, man. Like my kids will mourn me at my funeral and then they can move on, yeah. you know? And, and I know Rick's shared this story so many times, right? That the problem will be gone. I don't want to continue hurting anyone. No, no. I just, I wanted everything to stop. Mm-hmm. It, it, and when I say everything, like, how do you pin it down? I, I wanted the thoughts of self-hate. I wanted the constant disappointment in myself. I wanted this erratic behavior I couldn't seem to control and I couldn't seem to understand myself. For sure. um, I wanted every poor decision I had made gone. And I wanted, I wanted the regret about throwing my football career away. I wanted... Mm-hmm the regret about relationships I had spoiled, you know, and that's, that goes for friends, colleagues, girlfriends. It's when you're, when you're wrapped in addiction and that scene, you, you don't realize the destruction it does to everyone else around you. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Right. It's just me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and, and you think, you know, everything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, that, that Monday morning and I, I woke up and, you know, we, we talked about, you know, really I was going to solve that problem. And, uh, I went to the garage, I got the rope, um, we had an open ceiling in our basement and so I strung up the rope and, uh, yeah, I, uh, I went upstairs to write the note and I was sitting at my dad's desk and, uh, I wrote dear mom. No, I, yeah, no, I, I wrote dear dad. And then I wrote dear mom underneath that. And I got to the last M on, uh, my mom and thank goodness something clicked to me. Mm-hmm. I said, I got to call her. I got a caller. Yeah. I called my mom. <clears throat> I said, mom, I'm going to kill myself. I need you. Wow. And, uh, boy, did she come running in. Eh? No kidding. <laughs> she, uh, she came and, uh, she grabbed me and, uh, she said, you know, I got you. We're going to, we're going to go get help. So we, uh, we went to the, the local hospital, met with the doctor there. And he, uh, he told me, um, you know, he told me not what my options were, but what needed to happen. Yeah. At that point I had a plan. I was damn near close to enacting on it. Um, the fact that I'm a big ass mama's boy, I think <laughs> saved me, uh, you know, but, uh, he, he I, against my will, I was, I was taken to a psychiatric ward. Yeah. And, uh, at this point I was really scared at this point. I felt more scared mm-hmm. and I thought to myself, well, I should have just done it. Yeah. I should have just done it. Why, why am I here? Why am I here? I'm asking for help. Why are you taking my loved ones away from me? Why are you putting me in this room? I need help. Why are you, why are Mm -hmm. you doing this? And so, you know, I wish I could say this is when things turned around. This is when I got the help. This is when, but it wasn't right. I lied perpetually when Mm -hmm. I was there, um, told them I did it for attention. I didn't have these thoughts. Um, I was just a drug addict. Um, all these things I was held for 48 hours, lied, lied, lied. And I, the doctor tried. Um, I don't know his name. I can't remember, but he tried, mm-hmm. he tried within the tools, the skills, yeah. the re- resources he had at <clears throat> the end of the, when my time was up, he couldn't do anything more. For sure. So my parents came and picked me up and, uh, you know, they didn't really say a lot to me. I don't think they really knew what to say or, or, or how to say it. So they, they really just wrapped me in love. And so when we got out of the hospital my dad was like, where do you want to go in? For some god awful reason, I like Taco Bell. It's, uh, <laughs> shit's gross, but it's good. Um, so I thought, you know, I'm gonna go with my parents to Taco Bell. So we go to Taco Bell, and it was November, and it was pretty cold outside. And I ordered an obscene amount of tacos that I was gonna eat and then bring some home. Uh, gross, but uh, you know, uh, I'm sitting there and I look up, and there was a homeless man uh, picking through the garbage. And um, at the moment, I didn't realize how impactful this next moment was gonna be, but it's something that's always stuck with me. 
And I was looking at this man picking through the garbage. And I turned to my dad. I said, you know, we're just, why don't I just give him all this food? My dad yeah. smiled and nodded. And I went over and I gave him the food and my drink. And I, I said, you know, like, take care, you know, like stay warm and mm-hmm. all those good things. And he turned to me and um, he said, young man, there's always something to be thankful for. Wow. Wow. Right. And Ooh. I, I, uh, at the time I just brushed it off. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't even think about it. Years later, I look back and I thought, wow, you know. I, uh, I'm myself, I'm not a, a religious person, but I'm a spiritual person. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's pretty powerful what he said to me. No shit. Right. And I, 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 I hope this man's okay. I, I, if I could, I would hug him. I would, you know, I would thank him for that. Just that one sentence. Yeah. You know, because it wasn't the act of me giving that. It wasn't him getting food. For sure. I, I, I did, he helped me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's uh wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's moments like that. Right. And I know in my, in my story and in my journey through addiction and into recovery, I can look back now and see multiple moments like that, that, you know, there's a message and there's a learning experience in each one of them. But at the time it was just, you know, I'm here to help somebody. I'm here to talk to somebody. I'm here. But looking back, I resonate. I I look back and I can easily see how those um, interactions with people helped me just as much as it helped them. Yeah. And it's yeah. so powerful, but in the moment, it's really tough to recognize that at times. It, yeah. You know, it's I, so cool, man, that you had that experience. It is, it is. And it, it's something that will stick with me forever, yeah. forever. I will forever remember the smile on his face as he said that to me. Um, this man, what, you know, he, what seemed from my point of view had so little, I think from his point of view was different. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, powerful stuff, powerful stuff. And like I said, I, I wish this was the story, the feel good moment where like, yeah, <laughs> Kevin got it figured out. He got the help. He had that powerful moment. No, I brushed it off. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I went home and I went right back to what I was doing. Yeah. There was, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of difference. Um, I ended up, uh, going down the same path, crossing some fr- with some friends from high school who, although did the same things I did, had some goals and aspirations, you know, they had jobs, you know, crazy thing, right? Yeah. Have a job, right? No but, kidding. you know, they had employment, they had vehicles, they had all these things. And so, although they were still partying, they, they partied less and it, it kind of gave me a place to go, if mm-hmm. you will, mm-hmm. kind of gave me a place to go. So I, you know, in my hometown, I worked odd jobs. I, I still was drinking heavily. I still was addicted to drugs. I was, it didn't like, like I said, it didn't matter if, if it was meth, Coke, pills, I would do it. Yeah. Yeah. I would sure. do it. You, you put it in front of me, I'll, I'll do it. Eventually it becomes less about the substance or what substance it is, right? It's more about the effect and what's it doing for me. Yeah. Oh, an upper, give me an upper. I don't care what it is. Yeah, for sure. Right. Um, so, you know, all of these things didn't really change. My life didn't change. My decisions didn't change. Um, I didn't find myself in a better spot whatsoever. The self-loathing, um, everything started to increase. And this is really when my mental health really took a turn for the worse. And this is where the onset of my bipolar two disorder came on. This is when my social anxiety became crippling to the point where I would avoid interactions with people. Um, you know, I remember being in my early twenties and not being able to sleep for, you know, a day or two and not understanding, not understanding my irrational thoughts. Right. Um, acting strictly on impulse. Um, it's hard to describe that when you think about something that you quite literally within the same thought process are doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I could think about cocaine and be dialing as I'm not even, I'm, oh, that, that thought process hasn't even finished. Yeah. Right. Um, and of course these, these drugs amplified my mental health issues, amplified them hard. Um, We're- did you find in those moments, sorry to interrupt, yeah, but no did you have the mindset that some of these substances were actually helping with your mental health issues? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and I find with, you know, all sorts of different age populations, but especially younger people, you know, they're under this impression that, that a lot of these drugs are what's helping them cope with their anxiety and with their mental health. You know, maybe they don't have a diagnosis yet, but. I just know from studying so much literature and meeting individuals and even in my own family, right. That these are the same, very similar stories yeah. that, that once we find the substance and that numbs that little voice out, or it helps us deal with that compulsion and all these different things that we're struggling with or that anxiety in that moment, it, it, it exasperates it eventually. Right. And it it's yeah. fuels these problems. It does. You know, when you're high and you're drunk, you're not thinking about your failures. Mm-hmm. For right. Sure. 
what, at 4.30 in the morning when the sun's coming up, you sure are. Yeah. <laughs> right? Totally. And so you, what you view as a, a fix, even a short term at that, is quite literally just adding that kerosene to the fire. It's, mm. it's pumping oxygen in there. It's, it's inflating the problem. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. It's, it's, um, it's making everything worse. Um, you know, so these, these years were going by and like I said, I'd given up football. My mental health was oncoming and I still was using substances. I, I didn't want to get help. And my family was trying then at a time, but I, I mentioned this friend group and we thought to ourselves is, you know, they were a bunch of football players and they thought, well, why can't we go play football again? And I was like, why the hell not? Yeah. I thought like, what's, why can't I? Why can't I? And I thought, okay, you know, this is it, Kevin. You're going to, you know, let's train. So I started to train, but I didn't stop partying. Yeah. Right. We go out to spring camp, all those good things with my buddies. Um, the crazy thing is, is half of them got too high in the hotel room to go to tryouts. Um, <laughs> I was the only one that ended up going, right. We go all that way. Yeah. Right. We tr we're sitting in a, in a car for 16 hours. We'd go out there, but they were all too fucked up on Coke right. to go try out. And it was the one time I was able to abstain just because I wanted it that yeah, bad. Right. For sure. Um, so I ended up making the team. Um, I have another friend who was already playing out there, my high school quarterback. So it really was like this match, right? He said, you know what, you, you stay with me. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll, once again, we'll, you know, we'll tear it up on the field. Well, I knew him as someone who drank, but not really partied. Right. And I say partied as like did drugs who, yeah. who went on binges to do those types of things. Well, he had changed in these couple of years. Um, so it went from me thinking he was a, you know, a social drinker to like, oh no, he, he's slinging eight balls every couple of days, wow. you know, um, he's drinking a case of beer and I was in that spot once again, for sure. Once again, I, uh, you know, I, I, I was playing at a high level. I was enjoying what I was doing, but I wasn't at my peak performance. You know, I made excuses. <laughs> I continued down the same path. Um, and you know, through my years of football, I started, I had many concussions and my last year in particular, I had a really bad concussion. And my thought was to deal with this concussion was to do a ton of drugs to feel better. That should do it. That should do it. <laughs> Tick the box. Right. Yeah, right. Um, <clears throat> it did, of course it, it didn't help. Um, and you know, the same story as my, my first year, I was, it was near the end of the season, um, leading up to playoffs. I was engaged with a blocker and we were on turf and I, he shed me to the left and I planted to the left and blew up my knee. Oh, man. Detached my ACL, tore my meniscus um, right in half, and then tore my MCL. Um, so end up going to the hospital, and what's the first thing that happens after I get uh, some stress test done? Well, get some opiates. Yeah, right. So although I didn't like opiates, it seemed that every time I did them, it opened up this different door mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. It seemed like it accelerated things. Once again, I, I needed knee reconstruction surgery, so I couldn't work. Right. I, yeah. My parents had four kids it, and you know, I, by no means did we grow up without, we were very, you know, middle, very average, you know, all those good things, but they couldn't afford to support me out there, even though they wanted to, yeah. they didn't want me home, but they also didn't know what I was doing out there. Yeah, absolutely. I had no idea. Mom calls, everything's good. Everything's dandy. Yeah, you easy. know, life's good, mom. I'm eating, I'm going to sleep, you know, work's good. Um, little does she know, I'm, I'm sniffing lines before I climb on strata roofs to clean eaves troughs right. for work. For you know? sure. Um, uh, it's easy to, to keep that facade going, especially over the phone. Oh, over the phone. It's so easy. They don't see you. They don't look in your eyes. They don't, you know, they, sure. don't, they don't see any of it. So once again, I come home and that same perpetual cycle came back. Um, by this time, some dynamics within my family were changing. Um, my parents had moved out of our local town. Um, a lot of friends had moved away and I was quite literally sleeping on couches, doing drugs, yeah. um, partying. And the one day my mom called me and she said, where are you? And I told her where I was at. I was in my buddy's house. And she said, I'm coming to get you. And she was about three hours away at this point um, in Medicine Hat here. And uh, she said, I'm coming to get you and you're coming to live with me. And at the time she was living in my aunt and uncle's house. And um, if anyone knows um, addiction and what it does to your relationships, <laughs> my aunt and uncle had every right to not trust me. For sure. Um, you know, I had stolen from them. I had lied to them. Um, I'd burned that bridge. So basically my mom took me to their house without telling them. Wow. Right. She was willing to take that risk because she knew that I needed, I needed help because she knew it was, I, I didn't want to kill myself at that point, but I, I knew that was, it was going to be there. Yeah. You were heading in that direction. I was headed right there. Yeah. It, football was gone at that point. All my goals, my aspirations that I spoiled were gone. All of these things. And, and, uh, I will forever, uh, 
be in debt to my mama for a million things, but for this, you know? Um, so I come to medicine hat and I'm saying to myself, listen, you know, Kev, no one knows you in this city. Yeah. Not one person. You have an opportunity here, Kev. You have an opportunity to change your life. And I've never been more determined ever. The first two weeks in medicine hat were hell. Um, I was throwing up constantly right. from withdrawals. Um, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat all that mental health that I was suppressing with drugs came crashing down. For sure. Right. I still didn't want to deal with it though. I still didn't want to. I thought, you know, Kevin, you're, you're, you're off the drugs now at that point. It was, you know, we leading up to a month here, you're off the drugs. And, and you know, I think I was addicted to the party more yeah. particularly than a certain drug. Cause I was one of the very lucky few that could isolate myself and in the future, go to outpatient and, and see some success. Right. Um, but you know, I, I said, you know, Kevin, this is your chance. This is your chance. And there wasn't a particular moment. There wasn't a particular day where I thought I could tell you right now that something changed that, yeah. that I wanted some different, but I said, no, this can't go on. This can't go on. So I end up finding employment. My, uh, my first, you know, um, steady employment really ever. Um, uh, still without organization today. Um, but you know, I got off the drugs. I, uh, all of those things. And I still wasn't happy. Yeah. My social anxiety was the worst it's ever been. My thoughts of self-loathing and self-hate were strong. They were in, I, I refer to it as intoxicating because I don't know how else to describe self-hate when it's that intense. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it, it's, it, it's intoxicating. Um, so at this point I, I had, I had, you know, I had a girlfriend, one of the, who is now my wife, an amazing woman. I love her to death. I had a job. I had the trust of my, my, my family. Again, they were starting to gain it. I was saving money. I was doing all these things. I had a goal to buy a house, but I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. So as things move along, you know, I get my driver's license. I, I do all these things to really improve my life. And everyone's so proud of me. And they keep telling me, you know, I'm so proud of you, Kevin. Look at all these things you've done. I wasn't proud of myself. Yeah. I still thought you're a scumbag, man. Look at all that terrible shit you've done. Right. right. Your whole life. Yeah. You stole your baby sister's birthday money. Like, who are you, right? Like, who are you? I thought there was nothing that I could do mm-hmm. to undo that stuff. Yeah, for sure. I thought that this, although I had made these gains, it didn't matter. Yeah. It didn't matter. Still carting that, that yeah. past around with us, right? Yeah, still carting that past. So, you know, once again, um, the thoughts of suicide creeped in. Um, I'd been in Medicine Hat for about two years two years uh, by this time it's crazy I, I bought a house I had uh, done all these great things mm-hmm. none of it mattered none of it mattered I once again I, I told myself I was going to hate myself I I, uh, I did all that and then I never really had a plan I never really had a date I thought no 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 I need I need to talk to someone so I dialed 811 I spoke to a psychiatric nurse and told her about my addiction past I lied about my self-harm thoughts because I knew what was coming if I did. I'd experienced that before and I yeah. knew I needed help, but I, I didn't want that kind of help at that moment. Um, so I, I ended up getting um, a local um, doctor to work with at the uh, Alberta building here in town. Mm-hmm. Um, she was amazing. Um, I was able to get some therapy and I was diagnosed bipolar too at that point in time. Yeah. I had a lot of, you know, apprehension about that title and what that meant for me as a person. Mm -hmm. I was an under denial, under denial. I continued to go to therapy, um, for a while. And then, you know, once again, I wish this was the the point, right? Yeah. yeah. I just stopped going. I don't know what to tell you. I don't have a reason. I didn't want to be Kevin bipolar too. Yeah, for sure. I didn't want to. It was like a label that you were given. Yeah. And this is now who I am. Yeah. You know, the medication, the antipsychotic I was on, it worked. It was what I needed, but I didn't like it. Yeah. Right. It was, it was a new norm, right? It was, it was something different. And I decided that I didn't want to be a part of that. So I stopped going. Um, my uh, girlfriend at the time, once again, now my wife begged me, begged me. Oh man, she begged me um, to get help. She, uh, she knew that I needed it mm-hmm. and I didn't listen. And, oh, I love this woman to death. She stuck by me, man. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Right. She, 
for whatever reason said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hang on for this ride. Um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, wow. love her to the day I die. And, uh, you know, things kind of just remain stagnant, if you will. Um, and I stopped taking the medication immediately, which is like the worst thing you can do for yourself yeah. without doctor supervision. I stopped going to my GP appointments. I stopped going to my therapy and all of this stuff. I, and, you know, looking back, if I could speak to that doctor at uh, the Alberta building and, and, and thank her, I would, I, I wish I could because yeah. she helped me so much, even though I didn't listen, she, she helped me a lot. Um, so, you know, things remain stagnant. Um, I was still working. I was still doing these things. I, you know, I bought a house. I had all these things going in life, but once again, I wasn't happy with myself. I, I truly wasn't. Um, by this, I had kind of made a, a, a shift in work. I'd moved on to a new team and got a promotion. And, you know, I, I thought, you know, Kevin, you're going to focus in on this, mm-hmm. right? You're going to focus in on this you're, and you're going to really just utilize this opportunity. Well, I didn't have the capacity. I didn't. I didn't have the capacity to take on the new role or responsibilities. And it wasn't a matter of skills. It was a matter of my cup was so overflowing with emotion and yeah. self-hate. I didn't have room for anything. Else. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Makes sense. Just did not have room for, for anything. Um, so as a result, poor performance at work, right? Really poor performance at work. And uh, my mental health got worse and worse and worse. The self-hate, the self-hate, constant, constant, constant. And, uh, it was about a year and a bit before COVID and I, uh, I decided, I said, you know, Kevin, you've suffered your whole life. You need help. You need to be happy. And however we got to get you there, Kev, you got to get there. Yeah. And I made a promise to myself that, wow. I, would get, that I would get help. So, um, uh, I engaged doctors. I met with them virtually and I met with a local, um, psychiatrist and I was diagnosed um, ADHD, bipolar two, and social anxiety. Um, I started to re- receive treatment for that, uh, both therapy, uh, medication. It works for me. Um, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones where my balanced medication. Um, if anyone knows bipolar disorder, it's 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 often a a mix of medications to control um, everything. So things were going really well. Things were going really well, um, and then I. Uh, I experienced uh, a suicide of a, a loved one, a family member. Um, his name's Sawyer McClinton. Um, he's not a statistic. He's a person. Yeah, for and, sure, man. Right. Um, <clears throat> this, uh, it broke me when I, uh, I found out. I woke up and I said, I'll remember my mom's words. She, you know, There's no good phone call, three of them back to back at 7.30 in the morning, right? And so... The first two came through and I thought to myself, I was like, I don't, I don't want to pick that up. I was like, no way. I don't want to. That's, that's not good news. Yeah. I picked it up and my mom said, Kevin, I'm so sorry, but Sawyer took his life last night. Um, oh, I broke down. It's, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd felt pain before I, I'd lost a, a really good friend in a car accident and, uh, that kind of fueled my addiction in my high school years. And, um, this was different. This was something that I had never felt before. Um, it's a really complex thing to experience because the anger, the regret, you know, my cousin and, and a good friend, I'd, I'd done a lot of drugs with him. Right. I had um, <clears throat> sold drugs with him. I had uh, done a lot of things. You know, there's this great memory everyone talked about at my cousin's wedding where Sawyer and I hung out all night. Well, little did I know we were up in the room doing lines all night. Right. There was these memories that I was, I couldn't deal with. I didn't want to deal with. Um, I don't want to say it destroyed me because it led me to where I am now. Um, Sawyer has gifted me, me with a lot. He has gifted me with this fire inside of me to help others. It's where I'm sitting at now. Um, him passing away made me more determined to get my treatment mental health in order. It solidified my decision that I will never do that to my family. Right. I struggled accepting the emotions I felt around his death, um, particularly the anger. And, uh, I spoke to my dad about it because my pops is, uh, he's my ear, um, mm-hmm. when I need one. And he said, uh, I said, you know, dad, I, I'm mad at Sawyer. How could he do this? You know? And he said, you know, Kev, do you think I was ever mad at you? 
And I was like, oh, oh yeah. And he says, well, do you think I ever stopped loving you? I said, I don't know. Yeah. He said, well, just because you're mad at someone doesn't mean you have to stop loving them. Mm-hmm. Right? Wow. That helped a lot. Sounds like you have a pretty solid pop, sir. I do. I do. I have, a, I have an incredible support system. Yeah. I have incredible doctors, you know. Um, I'll refer to my one doctor, just Dr. B. Um, and uh, this man has, oh, I, I am where I'm at because of my effort and my treatment. Mm-hmm. But this man has provided me with so much. You know, not every story of addiction and mental health has to be Sawyer's story. Right. And matter of fact, it's not the right story for anyone ever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he gifted me with this, this, this urge, this fire that's burning inside of me now to maintain my mental health, maintain my well um, be, be present in my community with my colleagues, with my friends, be present in my job to have human conversations. Yeah. Um, you know, I uh, I will forever speak about Sawyer. I will forever tell stories about him because um, his addiction and his mental health doesn't define who he was. Um, he was trying. Mm-hmm. That's something I can acknowledge now. Um, and, you know, I'm still working on accepting the things him and I did together. Right. Some of the, the guilt I have around. And I remember shortly after he passed away, I, I, I was uh, with his dad, my uncle, and I just told my uncle Kev, I was uh, just like, Hey man, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I was not a good influence. Mm-hmm. I could have been better. And he said, you know, <clears throat> we all could have been better. Yeah. He said, we all could take some. He's like, but sorry, would be damn proud of you. Yeah. Yeah. And he For is, sure. I, I feel him around me every day. Yeah. That's really cool, man. Yeah. And, and I love that piece around. We could have been better. Right. And cause so many people have that same. Well, it's hindsight, right? It's easy to look back and say, we should have done this differently. We, sh- we should have, should have, should have. Yeah. Um, but what you're doing today is that action piece, right? Like, okay, well, we should have been better, but we can't change that. But what can we do about it now? And it's doing what you're doing, man, and helping other people and carrying that message, you know, that Sawyer never got a chance to carry. Yeah. And just being that shining light of hope that, man, this, there is a different way to live, right? If we, if we want to do something, do that's a big piece, right? It's, yeah. It's action. Oh my gosh, man. Right. You know, it's, uh, you can, you can, any of these, these heavy events, these addictions, these, they, they're heavy They're They can crumble you. Mm-hmm. Um, we often refer to emotions like anger and fear as these negative things, but they can also be very potent fuel. Mm-hmm. They can be extremely potent. Um, I'm convicted in the sense that sorry, made the wrong decision. Um, my anger has subsided a bit. Um, but I can still acknowledge he made the wrong decision, love him the same and, you know, move forward in a sense that I'm there to help others. You know, even on his, the day he took his life, he was checking in on his sober friends. Yeah. You know, you know, this, this in, in his last hours, he was that selfless. And so I wear bracelets and I, I have his name tattooed on my wrist and the bracelet says shine like Sawyer. And it's, it, you know, at That's first cool. I, I didn't want to wear the bracelet cause I thought like, yo, this fucker took his life. Like, yeah. what do you mean? Yeah. Like, how do you, what do you, what do you mean? How is that even possible? But then I realized it's like, man, he was so impactful on this earth. Mm-hmm. He was such a bright star. You know, I've showed you pictures of him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. He's a, he's a beautiful human. And <laughs> what I thought was the end of our relationship when he gone wasn't, we still have a relationship. He's yeah. still teaching me things. He's still helping me. And, I am where I am now um, because of my support systems, my doctors and me. Right. But he has helped me. And I never thought coming from that moment and that day when I found out in weeks after that I could view this as something I could leverage. Yeah. I don't think turn into positive because you can't turn it into positive, but you can leverage it. Mm-hmm. You can leverage it in a way that makes sense for you. And I will forever be an advocate for mental health. I will forever be an advocate for people who may feel that their past is too much and they can't overcome it, but you can, Mm -hmm. you can't make it disappear, but you can learn from it. Yeah. You can build on it. You can 
help yourself and others in the way that makes sense. You know, maybe, you know, for myself, you know, being a part of the recovery coach program and training, if you will, and all these things, those that's, that's my decision. That's how I want to connect. And, you know, it's just about, it's just as much about my recovery as someone else's. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, and others may say, you know, I'm going to leverage this in a way where I will deal with it within my inner circle and I'll, I'll check in on my loved ones and friends. And um, for me, I want it to be more than a, a catchphrase. It's okay to not be okay. Yeah. That, that is true. That is true. But for me, it's about action. Yeah. It's about, I'm not willing to stand by and let my community or peers suffer. Absolutely. And not, you know, in particular males um, and, and, and women suffer too, women, but in Canada in particular, you know, three out of four suicides are male. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something we got to talk about. It's wild. Something we got to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm a crier. <laughs> I'm okay with that. That's I cry. Not, I cry. Yeah. Uh, I express my emotion as I feel it and I'm okay Absolutely. with that. Yeah. And I am still just as manu- manly and masculine as the next guy. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I want to be a part of the solution. Totally. Yeah. And I think it's beautiful watching, you know, sitting here and getting to see grown men who have probably been, you know, brought up in that generation where masculinity is, is about not crying and real men don't ask for help and all those things. Right. And yeah. look where it took all of us. Yeah. You know, everyone who sat in these chairs have ended up in a very similar position. And now it's like, yeah, dude, we both grabbed Kleenex out of that box today. Cause <laughs> yeah. that's what it's about now. Right. Am I a man? Absolutely. I am. Yeah. And do I cry? Yeah, I do. And, and do you want to talk about your emotions? hundred percent. Let's talk about them. Yeah. Cause we stuff them. I know where it, eventually that lid flood comes flying off. Right. It we, and we- it's chaos. We all have a, a window of tolerance. We all have a capacity, mm-hmm. right? And it's, you know, treatment, recovery, all of that stuff is not, it doesn't mean you're without suffering. Mm-hmm, it just sure. means you have the, the, the tools and skills to better manage the storms. For sure. Right. We had a guest on recently and, and he said something very profound that I latched onto. And it was like, if you're going to teach your kids one thing over the years, right, it's, it's to have a relationship with pain because it's always going to be there. And if you can start channeling that into a positive direction and I, and I get that from you and you know, it's different language, but it's the same thing, right? It's like channeling that because adversity and pain and struggle is never going away. But it's like building resiliency and let's figure out how we're going to get through this. It's about getting knocked down on your ass and how do we get back up? And it's way easier if you have a support team yeah, lending hands down to help you back up. Right. Yeah. And your story lays that out perfectly. Oh, I have, I have a, a crazy support system. I have um, a president and managers who support me, who understand mm-hmm. what I need. If I call on my boss and say, I'm not coming in today, I need a day. She doesn't even ask. Yeah. She knows that I need that in order to be a better employee. Yeah. Um, I have an am- amazing wife who is a rock star. She's strong. She understands me. Yeah. She's my biggest cheerleader, but also my biggest critic and not yeah. in a bad way. She, yeah. she lets me know when I'm okay. not up to my own standards, not hers, my uh, own. Absolutely. Right. Um, <clears throat> all of these things, you know, it's, uh, it's not one single thing I think that's led me to where I'm at now. It's a, it's a combination of life experiences, good and bad. Mm-hmm. It's um, my support system. It's everything. And I, I have a, a belief that it is a, it is a right to be happy. Yeah. It is a right. And I want to help my community. Um, anyone, anyone, I will, uh, you know, I'm a big Twitter guy as weird it is, is. And when I see just random strangers who may have a sad tweet, I, I reach out via DM and just say, Hey, are you okay? Yeah. Because to me, I just, it's not a, it's not an overpowering, like this burden I feel I'm carrying, but I do feel it's a responsibility. Mm-hmm. I do feel it's a responsibility and not, not to where I can't carry it, not to where I feel it inter interferes with my treatment or my well being. but I will be part of the solution. Yeah. Not I want to be, I will be. Yeah. Right. Good for you. So some very concrete language there. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. And that's what we're doing here. Right. And that's how OCJ came to be is what's the action piece and and let's start focusing on a solution, right? And it's not going to be a solution to fix the whole world. Yeah. It's a solution to a very specific problem, right? And and we've talked about it and all our guests talk about the same issues, right? And our stories are all different. We say this all the time, but there's a lot of common threads in there and, and you and I have very many, yeah, very many 
English classes to go to. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have we have lots of commonalities, right, that connect us. And and listening to your story, it's just for me, it's like that's me resonates, resonates, yeah. resonates, and and it's so similar, right? We grew up in different parts of the country. Yeah, it's the same shit, though, right? Yeah. We're all going through something. We are, we are, Eric. <clears throat> you know that uh, that saying, or you know, be nice to someone. You never know what they're going through. Mm-hmm. You truly don't. <clears throat> you truly don't. You have no idea what your fellow man is going through and so there's a few things i can control in the world yeah right you know my word and how i treat others yeah very few things and what an eye-opening moment that is when somebody when i came to the realization of that yeah i'm like all i can control is my thoughts and how i act on them how i behave right and other than that the world's gonna do what the world's gonna do yeah people are gonna be people Absolutely. And, and it comes the, down to us, right? What are we going to do? Right. It's action-based. And you know, if, if we've all learned anything over the past three, four years or, or what have you, it's life can be very unexpected. hundred percent. Right. Um, it's how you prepare <clears throat> for those moments. Mm-hmm. You know, I was listening to a, another podcast just the other day, actually, and it is Simon Sinek. And he talked about, you know, high athletes. When you ask them if they're nervous at the Olympics or stuff, they're like, well, I'm excited. And he was thinking, well, why is that? Why is that? Well, they prepare. Yeah. They prepare for these moments. They train for them. And I am, you know, I'm referring to my therapy as mental fitness. Absolutely. I am training myself. I am providing myself with as much knowledge and skills that I can. I have, you know, looked into what I struggle with. What is bipolar disorder to what, you know, I've learned about myself. Yeah. I've recognized, I've gained a little bit of emotional intelligence. I'm not, not where I want to be, but that's okay. Like I'm on, I know I'm on the right path. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We don't have a a pin in the map for the destination, but we know we're on the map. Right. And we're headed that direction somewhere. Right. And we don't know. It comes down to that control piece. Yeah. We don't know where we're going to end up, but as long as we keep doing the next right thing and headed in this direction. Yeah. Really cool things start to happen. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. You know, seek discomfort in a way, like take, take risks that make sense. And what I mean by that is, you know, reach out for help, you know, Mm -hmm learn about what you're struggling with. Maybe, you know, I'm not saying go on Google and diagnose yourself. Not no, by any means. Absolutely no. not. No, please. No, 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 no. <laughs> but what I am saying is, you know, when you meet with your doctors and they, and maybe you were diagnosed with something, maybe they want you to look into something, you know, take that opportunity to learn about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll forever be, you know, an advocate for myself, my community. Um, you know, my, although I wish my life experiences were different in a way I don't because it's made me who I am today. Yeah. I wish I took an easier path. Sure. We could all say that. Yeah. For right. Sure. But uh, I wouldn't be sitting here. I wouldn't have met uh, yourself. Yeah. I wouldn't have felt comfortable to have that conversation with Rick sitting in his uh, office at his other profession long mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. You know? Um, so, you know, these moments are, they're affirming that I'm in the right spot. For sure. You are. So. Yeah. That's so cool, man. Well, dude, um, I think that sounds like a great place to uh, start wrapping this up. But before we go, well, first of all, I just want to thank you for coming in and being so vulnerable and strong, right? People always talk about strength and what strength looks like. And I used to think it was being able to bench 325 and all this bullshit. I mean, that's great. Physical health yeah. is, is a big piece, right? But yeah. strength has nothing to do with my physical abilities these days. It's more about what am I willing to do, you know, to, to showcase what it is to be a man. And that's vulnerability. That's open conversations. That's shining a light in the corners of the the dark cave where all that shit hides that I never shone lights in there before. Yeah. And it's yeah. about that and doing it in public and recovering out loud. And let's show people that this is possible. And, you know, sitting and talking with you, that's one of the things I, I really, um, it really hit home for me today, man, that, that your passion, right? Rick says it all the time, purpose and community and you have them, yeah. right? And it makes life a lot easier and it makes recovery a lot easier. And so, yeah, in saying that, what, what's, you know, one profound bit of knowledge from Kevin that you want to leave the listeners with or, or suggestions, or, you know, if you could just say to one thing, you could meet that gentleman out on the street who was digging through the garbage that day. Anybody who's out there struggling, what's one thing that you could leave them with? You know, if you are struggling and it really, whatever it might be, addiction, mental health, um, know that you are not abnormal know that the emotions and the, your thoughts are real, but know that your past does not determine your future. And 
seeking help, no matter how long your journey is, no matter what your path looks like, the end result is way better than any high you could ever experience. Mm-hmm. The feeling of love and content, and I really that'd be my message is, is don't give up, seek help. You know, if I could uh, hug that man from Taco Bell, I would. I'd tell him I love him, and I mean that. He he gifted me with something I'll always I'll always remember. Um, there's always something to be thankful for. Wow, always something to be thankful for. That's amazing, right? Cool, man. Well, I want to once again just thank you for coming in today, Kevin. I look forward to seeing where this path takes you, and I'm sure it's paralleling our path, and we're going to be on the same same directional path anyway. Yeah, I think so. Parallel, if you will. Absolutely, man. So. For sure. So yeah, with that, we are going to wrap up this episode of From Darkness to Life. Uh, We want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor this season, Nicole Davis Realty. If you're looking at buying or selling, please contact Nicole. And dude, just once again, I can't. It was a really cool hour having you in here. And and, uh, I look forward to chatting with you more as we move forward and helping people. Yeah, yeah, me too. And thank you so much uh, to OCJ, to you and... Um, you know, he allowed me to be here and, you know, and chip in in the organization that, that the way it makes sense. I'm just excited to, to start this journey. Yeah. You know, it's, it's going to be great. Yeah, for sure. And, and I can tell you firsthand that when I started this journey eight or nine years ago, it was nothing what I thought it was going to be. It's, it's a hundred times better. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait. Pretty awesome, man. Cool. So with that, thanks, Kevin. Uh, I guess that's it. So the end. Thanks. From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please consider supporting OCJ by visiting ourcollectivejourney.ca and clicking donate. All proceeds go to supporting the health and wellness of people in our community. Hosted by members of Our Collective Journey. Produced by Rob Pape. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive. Thank you for listening.